would ask that you continue to pray for me. I never understood what it was like to try to stand up before God's people. I thought I had an idea a long time ago, but till you've stood in this place, it's it's something that uh, you just can't put it into words. I would ask, though, that you continue to pray for me because without the Lord's Spirit, I'll be wasting my time and yours, too, because... I still have a lot of trouble trying to understand and figure out why that the Lord would call on someone like me to stand up before his children. I've not been trying to do this too many, just a couple of years, last month, I believe it was, since I've been ordained. But I guess I sort of felt like when I first started it, it might get a little easier, but it's not. It's uh, each and every time that I start to take the stand no matter where I'm at I know and it seems like it even gets to be more understanding with me that if if the Lord's not in it then there's nothing I can do or say that'd be of any benefit to you at all there's a thought that's been up on my mind for a good while one thing I would like to say before I go on though I appreciate the way you all read from the Bible each Sunday morning I think that is very important I spent a lot of time, not as a member, but attending several primitive Baptist churches that I never heard it once said that you ought to read and study. They just, whatever they said on Sunday mornings, I guess they felt like should be sufficient because it was never, we were never, the congregation was never encouraged to read or to study in their Bibles. And I think that's a shame, to be honest with you, because since I've been trying to stand and speak, I've had one lady come to me one day and she said, well, you read a whole lot. Well, I don't apologize for that because if I'm reading it right out of the true word of God, I'm not going to get it wrong. Uh, I've run into a few ministers in my time that seem like they feel like that you shouldn't ever open a Bible in the pulpit, that you should just get up and say whatever you feel led to say, but I've listened to several of those that I didn't, I didn't get anything out of it, and it may have been my fault, but I think if, uh, if the Lord's leading you to speak about something, it's going to be something that's contained within his word. It's not just going to be something that you can stand up here and remember that you've heard in the past or that you've said in the past. So in my opinion, reading is very important and studying is important too. He don't only tell us to read the word, he tells us to study it. So we can't just start out one day and start reading and when we get to the end of Revelation say, well, I've read the Bible, I'm done now. That's not the way it works. You can't get even a portion of what's within, contained within the written word of God by reading it one time. You can't get it by reading it ten times. You can't never get it all. So that's why we're told to study but a thought that's been on my mind, I hope it's of the Lord. I hope you'll continue to pray for me. It seems to me as though out here in the world anymore, it seems like I notice it more and more every day of my life. If you listen to what the world will try to tell you about God or about his word or about what's right and wrong, it seems as though it continually is contrary to what the word of God says. It just, it'll, it'll lead you to believe exactly the opposite of what's actually being taught within the word of God. And 
when I first started realizing this, or I feel like maybe God started opening it up to me, I had questions in my mind, you know, why? Why is that? Why would the world lead us in the wrong way like that? Why would they continually go directly against what the Word of God says? And then as I was studying, I come across this verse over here in Proverbs chapter 16. Verse number 2, it says right here, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. That tells me right there that if you sit and think about something long enough, it might seem like it's all right to you. You can convince yourself our human nature makes us want to be good. It makes us want to think that whatever we do is good. And this right here says that our ways are clean in our own eyes. Well, you know, if we back up here to chapter 14, there's a verse over here that tells us something else about the way we are. And this same verse, there's only one word different, and it it does not change the meaning any at all. But in chapter 14 and verse number 12, and then over here in chapter 16, verse number 25, it tells us there is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Well, you know, that don't seem like the, that's not the idea or the message that you get when you listen to what's being told to us out here in the world. You know, there's a commercial that comes on TV. I really don't even know what it's for. But some of the sayings that I've heard in it has stuck in my mind. There's this one woman that steps up and says that she believes in all paths to God. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe it for a minute. I believe there's only one path to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And his word teaches us this. There's no other way. It don't matter how much you believe it. It don't matter how many people believe it. It don't matter. Nothing else matters. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's all these other people on this same commercial, whatever it's for. I, like I say, I've not paid enough attention to it to even know. But they say that, that everybody ought to treat everybody with respect and you ought to respect people for their beliefs and things like that. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that there is a right and a wrong, and we're not to partake in the wrong. No matter who it is that believes it, no matter how hard they try to teach it, no matter how many examples they try to give you. You know, there's a big place down in, in the town of Abingdon. They call it a church. But they have advertisements for it on the radio. And they say, come as you are, any way you want to dress. I've heard them talk about having sunbathing and stuff on Sundays during the summertime. Talk about wearing any kind of clothes you want to wear. And they even go as far as to say it don't matter what you believe. Come as you are. They're a non-denominational thing. It's like nothing matters. As long as you show up, as long as you bring some money for them to support this big building they have and stuff, it don't matter what you believe or what you think or what you worship, in other words. And that is wrong according to the Word of God. Because if we look right over here in the book of John... He tells us right over here, there's only one way to worship God. 
And one way only. There's no other way, no matter how many people believe it or wants to put it forth. It tells us over here in John chapter 4, verse 24, it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the only way that we can rightly worship God, is in spirit and in truth. And for everybody else that steps up and says, oh, you believe what you want to, and I'll believe what I want to, and we both be right, that don't even make sense if you listen to what's being said there. Two people can't believe the opposite thing, and both people be right. It's impossible. Well, when I think about things like this, and then, like I said, it, it, I have a lot of trouble understanding why that God would call on somebody like me to try to stand up here and teach people that, I know a lot of times know, seem like they know a whole lot more about the Bible than I do. They've been studying the Bible longer than I have. They've heard more preaching than I've heard. And it just it puzzles me in my mind, especially when I know what I am in my mind. When I've been made to realize what I am by nature and some of the thoughts and the feelings and things like that that passes through me, it, it puzzles me. But then at the same time, I remember reading in the Word of God where it says that he takes the simple things to confound the wise. And sometimes it's just like a little child at times can teach somebody that's done been grown through college, lived most of their life here on this earth, got a vast amount of knowledge, and they can be taught a real lesson by a little small child. So that makes me to know and to understand that if God sees fit, he can use me to teach anyone on this earth. Not that I'm any smarter than they are, but the simple fact is he can use me for whatever he wants to use me for, and he can get whatever result he wants out of it. So I don't, I don't necessarily have to understand it all. If I can just put forth what God has enlightened me to say, it's going to be a benefit to somebody. Not because of what I've done, but because of what God done through me. But I'm a firm believer that a man has to study in the Word of God to have something to speak about. I have heard people stand up and say that they believe that God just poured it through them. And I don't believe that God will bless a man to speak on something he's never studied out of his Word. I just don't believe that because he tells us to read. He tells us to study, to rightly divide the truth. We have to spend some time in here to, in order to do that. And uh, I also don't believe that God does those things for us that he's gave us the ability to do for ourselves. I believe God performed those things that we're not capable of performing. He secured our eternal destiny which we had no control over whatsoever. He took care of that. He sent his own begotten son to die for our sins because there was no other way that we could be relieved of that burden that was placed upon us. We would have got what we deserved had it not been for him. He does those things that we're incapable of doing. But he's gave us ability to do some things, and I believe we have to step up and do those things because he's not going to do them for us. But when you think about the message that you get out here in the world, you think about the, the way they want to pass off what God is, what the truth is, 
how we ought to worship. When you think about it in that respect, what kind of a, do you ever, have you ever felt like you, you get this message that Jesus Christ is telling us here in Matthew chapter 5? Would you ever understand things like this if you were just listening to what was being told to us out here in the world? This is the words of Jesus Christ right here as he speaks to his disciples. It tells us, we start up here in verse number 1, and it tells us exactly who he's talking to. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. So that right there tells us his disciples came unto him. That's who he's speaking to right here. It says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you ever hear that type of message on any of these commercials you hear for trying to draw people into these big so-called churches? you ever hear them talking about being poor in spirit? Or do you hear just the opposite? Do you hear these men standing up and bragging and putting a number on how many souls that they saved for heaven? How many people that they got to, they drug into that place the past week? How big their, their offering was? How much money that they've made? That's the type of things that I tend to hear out here in the world. I don't hear anybody talking about being poor in spirit or being humble. I don't hear that out here. That's not taught to us out here in the world. So we can't learn this truth right here unless we go to the word of God. And unless we read and study within this true word, that's the only way we're going to learn this. That's the only way we're going to know it. Because the world's not going to teach it to you. It says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, I've never, I don't hear anybody talking about any type of mourning or anything like that from these other services that you hear or out here in the world. It's all... Do something that makes you feel good. If it feels good, do it. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard how people talk about how that they say that the reason that our young people are in as bad a shape as they are is because they have such low self-esteem? Well, I don't believe that. I believe it's because they've got too high self-esteem. They feel like they deserve more than they've got all the time. You know, that's been a characteristic of the human nature ever since time began. Ever since Adam and Eve was in that garden, think about it for a moment. They had everything they could possibly ever need. It was all supplied for them. It was a paradise that they had to live in. But they weren't satisfied. They wanted more. They wanted more knowledge. And look what it, look what it accomplished by their act. You know, it started with them, and it's continually got worse as it's went down through time. That people are never, ever satisfied. You talk about mourning, and nobody, they don't want nothing to do with you. But listen to what it says here. It says, blessed are they that mourn. You know, I heard a, a brother stand up and make a statement a while back, and I agree with it 100%. He said that he believed that the people of this country were too comfortable to be comforted. You know, when you think so highly of yourself that you don't feel like you need any comforting, when you think too highly of yourself that you, uh, you don't, oh, I don't need to mourn for that, you know, or something like that, 
you don't feel like you need a Savior. Whenever you think so much of yourself and you think that you're so capable of doing so much and things like that, you don't feel like you need a Savior. But it tells us here that it says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, you know, if we think so highly of ourselves that we don't feel like we need any comforting, then we're probably not going to do any mourning. Then we're not going to be blessed. Because it says right here, blessed are they that mourn. It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, this world in general, I don't care what you're talking about, whether you're talking about other religious orders or just the world in general, they always try to teach you that the strong is going to survive. That's, that's the attitude. That's, that's the way they look at it. They look out here in nature. Only the strong survive, they say. And they, they act like that. You've got to have this big, bold, strong spirit about you. You've got, to, you've got to conquer everything else, and only the strong is going to survive. Well, the Word of God tells us right here that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, if we, think, if we go back over here and look in Psalms, in chapter 37, you know, that's another thing that's been said to me since I've been trying to speak. I had a man tell me one time, he asked me about something that I had tried to speak on. And when I explained it to him, or I felt like I had explained it to him, he, the, his next statement was, oh, that's in the Old Testament. I can't tell you the feeling that came over me when those words came out of his mouth. Oh, that's in the Old Testament. If this Old Testament is not important... If we're not to go by the teachings in this Old Testament, I would like for someone to explain to me why that Jesus Christ himself referred to the teachings of the Old Testament as often as he did. Now, I do not believe that we're still living under the law. I don't believe that we're still living under those where we have to do all those sacrifices and things like that. I believe we're living under grace. I believe Jesus Christ fulfilled that law, but he didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. But he didn't do away with it. There's so many valuable teachings and lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament. And it really, I mean, it disappointed me for a man to make a statement like, well, that's in the Old Testament. But at the same time, I thank God that when that, when that came out of his mouth, there was a thought came to my mind. Well, let me show this to you in the New Testament. And the Lord blessed me to remember, and I don't have the greatest memory. I can't remember a name for nothing. And, and I have trouble. A lot of times I, I can remember something that's taught within the Word of God, but I have trouble remembering exactly where it's at. But it came to my mind just that quick, and I went right to the New Testament. I said, look what it says right here. And I read that for him. But, you know, I didn't used to be like that. Used to, somebody said something about the Bible, I'd stand to argue with them all day long. And, and there's people that will argue with you. And the people out here in the world that acts like they got more knowledge about this Bible, that act more so like that than anyone else, is the people that's never actually read the Bible. They just say, well, oh, the Bible says, the Bible says. But you say, well, where does that say that at? Most of the time, that ends that conversation right there. Well, I can't remember. It's over in there somewhere. I said, well, I'd like to see it. You know, I'd like to read it. But, you know, if somebody comes up wanting to argue with you over the Bible, instead of saying, well, I believe this or I believe that, if you'll say, well, the Bible says this, 
and tell them where it says it at and start reading it to them, most of the time it'll end that conversation real quick and it won't get all blowed out of hand. You know, anytime you get in an argument with someone, it's going to get out of hand if it goes on long enough. It don't matter who it is or where you're at. If you argue long enough, it's going to get out of hand. So the best thing to do is not argue. Just present the facts. And just say, you know, don't, don't say. See, there was a man that I work with jumped up. Uh, they, we've not had any discussions about the Bible since this conversation took place. But this man jumped up and said, God loves everybody. I said, no, he don't. You could have heard a pin drop. Everybody just like, it's like it took their breath, just looked at me. I said, God don't love everybody. But I said, just hold on a minute. I said, I don't, I don't want you to take my word for it. Don't want you to take my word for it at all. I said, I'll be right back. And I went out of the shop, went to my truck and got a Bible, which, you know, I'd probably get fired if they knew I was doing this on work time. But, I mean, they was arguing about it on work time. So I brought it in. I said, now, I want you to look at this. I said, I'm not going to stand over here and read it to you. I said, I want you to look at the words, and I'll read it as you look at it. And I went over to Romans chapter 9, and I'm sure you're all familiar with it. And I read to him right there about Jacob and Esau. So he thought he had me again. Oh, you're just picking one verse out of the Bible. I said, let's back up and look at the whole chapter. I said, I'd be glad to. I said, I believe you'd reassure my point even more so. Because, you know, if you just look at that Romans 9 and 13, you could, you could say, oh, you're just looking at one verse there. I believe it's 9 and 13. Yeah, it says, and it is written, Jacob have I loved but Esau have I hated. Now, I can understand the man making that statement. Oh, you're just picking one verse out of the Bible. Well, I wanted to go back before this. I wanted him to look at this whole chapter, and especially a couple of verses before that, because this was going to reassure my point that I was trying to make to him so much more. It says, For the children being, yet, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. You know, I'd have loved to read that to him, but at the same time, when I come walking back through the door with my Bible in, the, in hand, it wasn't this one, it was one that I carried to work with me every day. There was two of them that was getting in their trucks to leave right then. I mean... I never, I never dreamed that the, the Bible could make a bunch of men scatter like a cat make a bunch of rats run, you know, but that's, that's exactly what happened there. Well, these other two had done got up out of their chairs, and they stood there and listened as I read that verse to this other man. Well, then when he made that statement, I said, well, let's look at the rest of it. I looked up. Those two were done going to their trucks, and this man had his back to me going out the door, and there ain't been a word said about the Bible since. But I believe that if I had have just made that statement and left it at that, we'd have still been standing there arguing today. But see, I didn't, just, I didn't use my belief. I didn't use my knowledge. I used the word of God to prove my point, to show them why I believed what I believed. Because anymore, when somebody starts out of our something with me, they start out a sentence saying, I believe, I want to know, well, why do you believe that? 
You know, there's a lot of things out here. The world will have you to believe a lot of things that there's no truth in them. But it may seem right to us. You know, it may sound good. There's a lot of things that sounds good in our ears, and when you stop and take it apart and think about it, there's no good in it. It's just like this statement you hear people say all the time, oh, he had a good heart. Well, what's the Bible say about our heart? It says it's wicked. It's deceitful above all things. Well, which do we want to believe? We want to believe what the world's putting off or what somebody's saying to us, or do we want to believe what the Word of God says? See, if you go over here to Rome, uh, Psalms 37, and I'll start here with about with verse 11. It tells us over here, it says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. See, the Lord knows, and he understands exactly what they're doing, and he knows he can see their day's coming. They're going to pay for all these wicked things that they've done. See, out here in the world, they'll, they'll make you to believe that the strong can take whatever they want, and then they're going to be the ones that survive because they've got this strength. Well, you know, if we go back and read about all these armies that came upon the children of Israel, think about that for a moment. Think about that time, I, I believe it was Joshua, I'm not sure, but I believe it was, that was going out to fight this battle. And remember how the Lord just kept cutting down the number of soldiers that he was going to take? It got down to the point where if you thought about it with your natural mind or you thought about it in the way the world would present this, they didn't have a chance of winning that battle. There wasn't enough of them. There wasn't enough strength there to overcome. But see, the Lord did that so that it might be shown to the people that it was the Lord causing this to take place and not those people that were fighting. See, the Lord, a lot of things, most of the things that you read within the Word of God, it'll give you exactly the opposite idea that the world will teach you. You know, when you think about the words that Satan spoke to Eve back there, it ain't always... It don't always seem directly opposed if you just look at it real briefly. And if you just think about a lot of these sayings that's going on out here in the world, just like, you know, if you thought about, like that one woman on that commercial said she believes in all past to God. Well, you know, a lot of people, they just focus in on that way to God. You know, that don't sound that bad. But then if you think about it, there's only one path to God. There's only one way to God. And that's through Jesus Christ. And for somebody to make a statement like that, it's got a little bit of good sound to it, you know, because you're thinking about God, you're thinking about a way to God. That, that sounds okay. But when you think, she's believing it. It don't matter what you believe. It don't matter what you do or what you say. It all paths to God. Well, there's only one true path to God. And we have to keep that in mind at all times. We can't let these things get sunk into our minds 
And, and we, you know, you can start to believe something is the truth when it's not the truth, if that's continually what your mind is on. But if you go back and you read in the Word of God over and over again, and you commit this to your mind, then you're going to be able to distinguish between right and wrong when you're presented with it. You know, I've heard people stand and brag about what a good liar they were. Have you ever heard that? People talk about how good they are at lying. And, you know, you could just sense a, a sense of pride in them when they were telling you about how good they were. That they could lie to somebody and they'd never know it and stuff like that. You know, that really bothers me. Because when I hear somebody make a statement like that or I see somebody taking pride in something like that, I think about what it says over in Proverbs chapter 6. You know, I can't imagine being proud of something that the Bible says that God hates. It says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Look at the very first thing listed here. A proud look. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. And heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that spreadeth lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. Can you imagine somebody being proud enough to stand up and brag about being good at something that God says he hates? He hates a proud look. A lying tongue. You know, it tells us right back over here. I, I think I remember where it was at over here. I believe it may have been in Proverbs. You know, if you listen to the, the, way, the, lo, the way the world presents God, he's so weak. You have to let him do this. You have to let him do that. It's like they have complete control. It's like whatever they believe is all that matters. You know, they, don't, they believe they can do things that God don't even see. They believe they can do things that, and hide them from him and stuff like that. You know, we're presented with this type of, of feeling or this sense of, of the warped sense of truth that the world has, in other words. It's not the truth, but it's the way, it's what they present as the truth. Do you know it tells us back over here in Proverbs, it says in chapter 15 in verse number 3, it says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. There's nowhere upon the face of this earth or under this earth or above this earth, there's nowhere that we can go to get out of the eyes of the Lord. And it says, beholding the evil and the good. He knows. He knows the difference, whether it's evil or whether it's good. And he nothing ever passes by him. Do you know it tells us on over in chapter 16 here in verse number 18? You know, that you hear about this all the time, whether it be in sports, whether it be in business, no matter where it is. You know, I made the statement that you hear these people say all the time that the problem with our younger generation is the low self-esteem. 
And they all tell me, be proud of yourself. Be proud of what you've accomplished. Be proud of what you're doing, all this. Listen what it says here in chapter 16, verse number 18. It says, pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. You know, that goes, that's directly opposed to what the world teaches us. They teach us that we ought to be proud. We ought to be tall and stand above everybody else. We're the, you know, it goes back to just the strong survival. That's not what the Bible teaches us right here. It teaches us that the meek shall inherit the earth. It says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, I've heard a man not too long ago bad-mouthing somebody else over They was talking about hunting, and he's talking about shooting something out of season. And he was fussing at this other fellow because he didn't take a shot. They were out together. He had an opportunity to kill a wild turkey, and it wasn't turkey season, and the man didn't shoot it. And he said, oh, you're getting all righteous on us. Like that's a bad thing. Like it's a bad thing to do what's right. And I've heard him make that statement two or three different times, and it really bothers me to hear somebody make a statement like that because, you know, in his eyes, that's wrong for him to do what's right. It'd be more, he'd be more glorified in his eyes if he'd have done what was wrong. And, you know, that's, that's the general idea that we get from everything out here in the world. And it worries me that a lot of times, you know, we spend most everybody, spends a lot more time taking in the thoughts and the ideas and you see a lot more of what's going on in this world than we do in the Word of God. I mean, think about it. Is there anyone here that can honestly say that they spend more time studying and finding a place in their mind for the truth that's listed in the Bible than they do with all the filth that's out here in the world? I don't think any of us does. So that's why it's so important that we continually go back and see what the truth is, that we can have it, have a store place in our mind for it, that whenever we think, you know, you, whenever you start to make a decision on something, you make that decision based upon the knowledge that's in your mind. Well, what type of knowledge do you want in your mind? Do you want what the world thinks is right? Do you want what you see going on out here every day to, to make your decision based on that? Or would you rather make your decision based upon what the Word of God says? And then you'd be right in making your decision. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You think about that. How many, how many people out here really even want peace? How many people do you see out here in the world that actually does or says things that gives you an idea that they want to see peace? Ain't there a whole lot more of them out here that'll throw in a little word here, a little word there, a little saying here or there to stir up trouble rather than peace? It's like some people 
Seems like anything that's said, no matter what it's about, no matter where you're at, they got a little something to say that would stir up trouble instead of peace. You know, a lot of times we can even get it in our mind. Boy, if I could just tell them what I think, I could set them straight here, you know. That would do more good than anything. Well, the Word of God don't teach it like that. You know, there may be times that we could feel like inside of us that the best thing in the world we could do is just tell somebody off. Just set them straight. Tell them how it is. Well, you know, the Bible don't teach that at all. Not one bit. No, Nowhere in here can I find where we're taught to do things like that. You know, back, back over in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 1, this is what the Bible says about things like that. It says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. You know, you can look at that from two different sides. It can turn away the wrath of the person that you're speaking to, but at the same time, it can turn away your wrath by giving somebody a soft answer, a truthful answer. Instead of standing and arguing with them, instead of telling them off like we feel like we need to do or we want to do, you know, it says... Grievous, but grievous words stir up anger. You may think of some pretty harsh things to say to somebody, some pretty grievous words to use towards somebody over something they've done. But if you do that, that thought and that feeling is going to stay with you, seem like forever and ever. I can remember times in my life years and years ago when I've told people what I thought, and I can think about it now, and it comes back to my mind just like it was yesterday. But you know, whenever you're facing an argument like that with somebody or something, and you give them a soft answer and go on about your business, just like the Word of God tells us to do, you get that peace within you that's talked about so many times throughout the Word of God, the peace that we're rewarded with for doing what He's told us to do. But you know, if we give that harsh answer or that grievous words like we feel like we need to do it's going to stay within us this and it just keep coming up over and over and over again but you know it says here a soft answer turneth away wrath or it says here the definition for wrath is anger wouldn't you much rather have that anger leave out of you than to feel like you might be satisfied with doing something like that but it's natural for us to feel things. That's our human nature. We think sometimes, well, if I could just tell them off, that's, that's all it'd take. I'd just feel so good about it. But I've never felt good about it after I've done it. And I try my best not to do it anymore. I'm not standing up here saying I do what's right all the time. I don't. But I try my best to do more. And I believe that we have a better chance of doing what's right if we stay right here within the Word of God. And if that knowledge is what we're making our decisions based upon, the truth that we've learned, that he's opened up to us and blessed us to have in our minds, we got a whole lot. That's the only chance we have of doing what's right. We're not going to do what's right if we're going by what we're taught out here in the world and, and the things that they want to put off as what's being right. It says, blessed are ye. When, a, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. 
What's the world tell you about things like that? Somebody falsely accuses you of something, they say, well, you must have been doing something wrong or they wouldn't have said that about you. You ever heard something like that? Boy, they, them people must not be living right. God wouldn't be treating them that way. I've heard stuff like that all my life. But it tells me right here that we're blessed. It says, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. But now it don't stop there. You know, if people's doing this stuff to you and they got reason to do it to you, then I don't think that I don't think we're being blessed. It says, if they all manner of evil against you falsely, just like they did our Lord and Savior. You know, all the charges they brought against him, all the things they accused him of, it was all done falsely. There was no evidence for it. And it tells me right here that we're blessed if they do things like that toward us falsely. But you know it tells us on over in the word of God here that we're to avoid the appearance of evil. You know, there's things that you can do that can be right, nothing wrong with them whatsoever, but yet someone standing afar off looking at it, it could appear to be evil to them. An example that I could think of right off that could look wrong. If I went to visit a church member, a woman church member, and I went with all the right intentions, I visited her because she was sick or because she was having some kind of problem, but I went all alone. I wouldn't be doing anything wrong if I was doing what I was supposed to be doing according to the word of God. But that could be the appearance of evil to somebody off here. Saw me stop there and didn't know what I was there for. Didn't even know the situation or anything else. Then I would be presenting evil to their eyes. Even though I wasn't doing wrong. So we're to avoid even the appearance of evil. And then if we're falsely accused of things, we're blessed. Because that reassures our hope. That lets us know that we are one of his. It says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. You know, everybody's heard this before. I've made this statement no older than I am, which I feel like I'm getting pretty old now. I didn't. But, you know, people say, boy, things are a lot worse now than they was when I was a kid. Things are a lot worse now than they were 10 years ago. Do you know these things have been going on all through time? Because we read about that prophet back there when he prayed to the Lord, he felt like he was all alone. He felt like he was the only man left that believed in the Lord. And the Lord told him he had reserved 7,000 unto himself. You know, these feelings have been going on all down through time. And there's been people persecuting prophets and people persecuting people that's trying to do what's right all down through time. And they've tried to turn it around. And the world will try to teach you just the opposite of what the Word of God says. And we can get drawn into that very easily. You know, a while back I tried to speak about the difference between right and wrong. There's so many people out here in the world who thinks they can get in between those two things. 
like there's this big gray area that you can stand in between, but you can't. It ain't there. There's such a fine line that you have to be on one side of it or the other. You're either right or you're wrong. There ain't no middle ground. Whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you say, it's either right or it's wrong, period. But the world will teach you that there's a big broad gray area in between the black and white here, and you can stay in here and you'll be all right. Like, you ever heard of a little white lie? A little white lie is just as bad as a big black lie. There's no difference. A lie is a lie. The Bible tells us not to lie. So you can't tell a good lie. A lie is a lie. But see, the world don't want you to believe that. They don't want you to look at it like that. They want you to think, oh, I can just cruise down the middle here. I can ride the middle of the fence, and I'll never have to fight for nothing. You know, I'll never have to stand up for nothing. I'll never have to go against nothing. You know, everything be just fine. Well, what does, what does uh, the Bible say about that lukewarm church over there in Revelations? It says that God says he'll spew it out of his mouth. Because they're lukewarm. They're not right and they're not wrong. They're just trying to ride the fence here. They're just trying to get along, you know. It don't work like that. There's a fine line between right and wrong. He tells us over here near the end of Matthew, this is still the words of Jesus Christ. I don't believe that you'll get this teaching or this understanding anywhere else out here in the world. It says in verse 43, it says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I don't think anybody out here in the world is going to tell you to love your enemies. You know, there's another place over here I can't think right off exactly where it's at, but it says to pray for our enemies. Have you ever tried doing that? It's a pretty hard thing to do. But at the same time, it's awful hard to hate somebody you're praying for, too. And you know, when he tells us to pray for our enemies, he don't say he don't mean for us to do like that old song they got on the radio, pray that a flower pot will fall and hit them in the head, and pray that their brakes will go out on their car and stuff, you know. We're to pray a sincere prayer for our enemies. And you know, when you pray for somebody, it's hard to hate them. He tells us right here to love our enemies and bless them that curse you. You know, that goes back, you think about back over in Proverbs about 
that soft answer. Somebody walks up and curses you or says something hateful to you and you give them a soft answer. That's, that's sort of like blessing them, ain't it? It says, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. You know, sometimes somebody does you wrong. They pull out in front of you on the road or something. You think to yourself, or on the interstate, you're coming up behind a slow vehicle or something. You're getting ready to get out in the passing lane. You look up in the car behind you, jerks it over, runs up beside you real quick, pins you in there, makes you mad, and you think, boy, as soon as I can get out of here and they get behind somebody, I'm going to do them that way. Does that make you feel better when you do that? I feel guilty when I do things like that. Do you know it tells us here that we're to bless those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you. That's hard to do, or we think it is. But you know, when we bow down in prayer, if God sees fit to pour out that spirit upon us, you can't imagine how easy it can be to pray for somebody that despitefully uses you and persecutes you. And the thoughts that you're having, the intents in your mind and your heart, when you think, man, if I could slap their face, it make me feel better than anything else in this world. But that's wrong. We can think that, and it may seem like that to us. But when we do what the Bible tells us to do, when we pray for them, those feelings... Those thoughts, that whole situation will leave us. And we'll enjoy that peace that he's promised us for doing what he's told us to do. But we've got to spend a lot of time in his word right here to know what to do. Because things that seems right to us ain't always right. We need to use that knowledge of the truth that the Lord has blessed us with to get from his true word. To make our decisions and then we can be right. Then we can enjoy that peace and that fellowship and that love. You know, he's promised us peace that this world don't even know about. They don't even understand peace. The peace that he's promised us, you know one place in here it says peace unto your souls. Think about that for a minute. You lay your head down on the pillow at night. And you feel peace plumb down to your soul. Can you imagine what a sweet night of rest you're going to get? It's wonderful. But you have to experience it to know what it feels like. And you have to know the truth and do the truth in order to understand it. To experience it and to look forward to it again. I thank you for your attention. I hope I wasn't too scattered. I hope you'll think along these things. I'm, I'm sure you can think of a lot more places here within the Word of God where it's taught. And think about how much difference they are in the things we see and hear out here in the world. How much contrary it is to the Word of God. But if we spend too much time out here and not enough time in here, I'm afraid we can slip across that line real easy. It's real easy to do. We read about a lot of the prophets. Read about Solomon. Read about David. Read about some of the acts that they committed after knowing the truth, after walking with God like they did. Read about some of the things that they did. You know, if a man that's walking that close with God can step across that line, we don't need to think too highly of ourselves. We're capable of doing that very same thing.
So let's try to spend all the time we can and have that knowledge of the truth to base our decisions on, to make our decisions with. And we'll be a lot more likely to make the right decisions in everything in our life. I thank you for your attention.